Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk, a new series of candid conversations covering the issues facing freelance professionals today. I'm Tom Rizzo, your host, managing director and founder of Plectrum Advisors, an investment advisory firm based in Los Angeles. On each episode of Let's Talk, I'll be speaking with some of the most plugged-in experts to help you and me make sense of today's changing environment and to help you be smarter about how to approach work and life. So let's get started. Our guest is Stephanie Taub. Stephanie is the CEO of the AFM SAG-AFTRA Intellectual Property Fund. Many of our listeners are participants in this fund, and I thought it would be a great idea to uh, speak with Stephanie about how the fund works and what it is and where the money comes from and what you can expect and those kinds of things. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. And why don't we start, Stephanie, by uh, you giving us a little bit of a background on um, the fund itself, what it does, and give us a little background on yourself, um, what your history is, and what it is that you do at the fund. The AFM and SAG-AFTRA Intellectual Property Rights Distribution Fund, which is a mouthful, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. I don't think people realize how long this fund has been around. Uh, It did start quite small um, initially with back at that time, um, there were Japanese record rental royalties. I don't know if anybody remembers back at that, uh, at the time that people in Japan could go and rent records and there were royalties that were paid. And there was a a deal that was made with the the two unions to pay for the U S recordings and, and uh, the U S performers. And that's kind of the the very small beginnings of this fund. And shortly after that, um, uh, the digital services started. And one thing that was very good is when the copyright laws were changed, the unions were very proactive and made sure that when there was a performance right created for um, some of these digital services, that there was provisions to get the artists paid and guaranteed payment. Not all featured artists are making a ton of money, but certainly the non-featured are not making a ton of money. And we wanted to make sure that when their recordings were exploited in these new services, that they were receiving a share of the royalties as well. So that's kind of how this fund started. It's contained in the copyright law that uh, the services pay, and the, the services we're talking about here are what we call non-interactive services. So they're similar to radio, but in a digital format. For example, Sirius XM, um, online webcasters, anything where you're not picking what you're listening to. So it's just being um, aired like like a radio station. Um, And that's what these royalties represent. And it's specified that the services pay that money and it goes into sound exchange. And what SoundExchange does is they pay 50% of that money to the copyright holder, which in general is the record label. But often if you're self-released, you as an artist, you get that 50% share. And then 45% goes to the featured artists on the recording. 
and that's distributed by sound exchange. And then 5% is now sent to the fund for the non-featured artists. And that's split, again, this was set in the copyright law. That is actually 2.5% for the non-featured instrumentalists and then 2.5% for the non-featured vocalists. So that's how that 5% is apportioned. It was really up to the unions how they decided to set up an organization to distribute this money. They could have each set up a separate one. But at the time, they felt it would be more cost-effective to have one organization that would distribute this on behalf of both uh, singers and instrumentalists. And so they combined forces, which is really quite unique. There aren't really many unions that have combined. Otherwise, each one would have had to been paying for a separate um, entity to be doing this job. And the other thing to remember, though, even though the unions were very uh, instrumental in creating this and getting this right and making sure this money was going to the non-featured artists, it, it, because it is something that's coming out of the federal copyright law, the requirement is that we distribute to all performers on a recording without regard to union affiliation. So a lot of what we do is really trying to um, promote ourselves out in, in the music world so that other folks who may not be connected to the unions are aware that we have this income stream for that. Uh, I came to the fund um, in originally in around 2012. I became a board member on the fund. At the time, I was working at AFTRA, and which then merged with SAG and became SAG-AFTRA. And I've always worked on the music side of um, working for singers. I was between the two, AFTRA and SAG-AFTRA, for over 20 years. And when the position became available here, I felt that I had had a lot of background in this area, and I was very well versed with the fund. We're thrilled that you're in the, this position. Uh, this is not a simple mechanism here. This is a lot of moving parts. Give me give me a little bit of, a, of, of an idea of how uh, in dollars, how much is collected, how much is distributed, how, and how it's grown, and what the projections are for the future on this kind of thing. So at the initial stages of the fund, the first the first few years, around maybe $100,000 came in a year. Um, now, our la the last few years now, I would say we're up to just domestically in the U.S., we collect approximately $50, $50 million every year. So, so we've distributed over the lifetime of the fund over $600 million to non-featured artists. That 50 million is just domestic royalties. One of the things I, I didn't talk about yet is we also have agreements with many organizations in other countries to collect on behalf of US performers. So we go out and make, make uh, agreements with different territories where they collect, for example, let's say Germany, they, they collect for different rights in their country and they play a lot of US music there and they collect on behalf of US artists. So that is actually one area where union membership is important because in order to collect internationally, you have to give, a performer has to give someone their mandate to collect those royalties. So in the union uh, 
membership agreements and part of the union bylaws is that you're assigning that to the union. So what happens is the union then basically made us an administrator of those rights. And so we go out, since we already have the information about the performers and who's on which recording, then we go out to these other, um, they're called CMOs, collective management organizations in other countries. And we tell them, hey, we represent all these people. These are the recordings they're on. Give us their money that you've collected. And we will then send that out to them as well. We actually just had our large distribution, which we normally do at the end of every April uh, this year. And that one actually, because we did really well on the international uh, side this year, we we just distributed almost $90 million this time around. Tell me a little bit about the distribution schedule. How often do checks go out and how is that determined? We do our main distribution at the end of April of every year. Um, if someone comes forward in the middle of the year, for example, sometimes we don't have a good address on them or they hadn't registered with us, but we'll hold the money if we've identified that they're on recordings. Um, quarterly, we do sort of little catch-up uh, distributions for those folks. We also do in in the end of September, uh, what we call our auto, audio-visual distribution. That's connected also to the international royalties, where in uh, several countries, the main ones being Germany and Spain, there are royalties available there for audio in audiovisual works. So what that means is in film and television, if you're either on the underscore to that material or on a record that was used in a film or TV show, uh, we collect those, those monies as well. And we distribute that at the end of September. So that's a much smaller distribution, but that's done it later on in the year. Our goal is to increase uh, the the frequency of those distributions. Right now, we're actually in the middle of a modernization project on our internal systems, which will allow us to pay more often. Um, so, you know, the the goal. Uh, hopefully, we can get to quarterly. I know it's it's you know much easier than having to wait the whole year to get your payment. Right now, we're just sort of constrained by technology but we should have that going in the next uh, year or so up and running. And hopefully we'll be able to do that. The other thing that will enable us to do distributions more frequently is if people are signed up for direct deposit, that that's much easier and quicker. And it actually saves money that we don't have to do the mail and printing and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, the recipients are non-featured performers. If there are listeners out there that feel that they may be one of these people that has made recordings uh, as a non-featured artist, um, but that they're not sure whether they are either in your database or lined up or, um, or that you have the correct information for them, what, what would you recommend that those people do in order to uh, maximize any benefit they might have in terms of contacting you and that kind of thing? The best thing to do is to start with our website which is www.afmsagaftrafund.org. And we have a couple of different things you can look at. One is we have an unclaimed performer list. So those are folks that we've identified 
as having money available, meaning they're on a recording that's earned some royalties somewhere, but we can't locate them for, for various reasons. And often that's um, either they've been signed up previously and, and we don't have current contact information or they never registered, so we don't have that information. The other thing that's very common on our unclaimed list, and we, we'd really love to get the word out on this, is beneficiaries. So you might see some, you know, relatively well-known names who have passed away and you're like, how do you not know where to find the, those folks? But we need uh, we need someone's either will or trust or whatever legal documentation uh, showing who their legal beneficiaries are, and then we can pay out that money. So it's it's been difficult. You know, there's no there's no source you can go to and say, hey, who's this person's beneficiaries? So we really want to make sure people are aware to let their who their potential beneficiaries may be, let them know about the fund and that we're here and that we're one of the places they need to go to um, at that time to make sure that that money continues to flow to them. Because we do pay beneficiaries, um, you know, as long as there's money there, we will pay it out to the beneficiaries. Do you recommend that people who are participants, is there a mechanism for them to declare who their beneficiaries will be and to sign up uh, in that kind of situation? We're working on some thoughts about how, how to at least have contact information. So if we do see someone, we can you know at least reach out to them at that time. The other section on our website that is key to that is we also have a, a list of recordings that we currently have money attributed to. So you can go search any of the recordings in, in your repertoire and see if we have you on that recording. And if we don't, you can file an omissions claim. Um, normally we require some, some sort of documentation to go along with that, but we try to, we try to cast a wide net because we know it's difficult, particularly if it's an older recording that you know, people didn't save the documentation from back then. So I just want to reinforce how important it is, even now going forward, to keep records. You know, back in the day, people didn't know that there was going to be this continuing income stream, right. and how important this documentation was going to become because it didn't exist. So you know, now even if you just keep a, a running list of every session you do. Um, that that's so helpful for us. Just to reiterate, on the website, there is a list of all recordings that you have received royalties from. So somebody could go and look and see, yes. oh, I'm on this recording. And then they could check in with you if they feel that they have not been credited for it. That's the beginning of that process. Yes. And they can also register and create an account on our website as well. And that's how they'll be able to access who, who we have listed on the recordings is they'll create an account and they register with us and then they can see the full list. And so this would be the mechanism, let's say for a current recipient, a fund recipient, someone who's receiving checks on a regular basis, uh, but may not have information or knowledge about, am I getting everything I'm due or everything that I've recorded? Um, their mechanism would be to go to the website and they could create an account or add to their account? Yes. And not only will they be able to search through that 
that complete list of recordings, but when they create an account online, they'll be able to access their own statements that show exactly what they've been paid for. So they can run through that. And if there's any, you know, they might see, hey, I'm on this big popular song and it's not listed on my statement. Let me go look and see if the fund has me credited on that recording. Let's say that would be a situation where someone would find, well, there's a recording that's collected money. I, I don't know whether I'm receiving money for that. What kind of documentation would they have to supply you with in order to um, get themselves added to that um, revenue stream? We get that question a lot, and I hesitate to give a fixed list. We, we have examples of things. One of the best things is a union member report. Or if you're if you have credits on the released recording, those are the easy ones. You know, if you have a check stub that has the song title on it, you could even have an email of someone hiring you for that for that session. Let's say we have three of the musicians listed and we're just missing the fourth. If the other three say, hey, we've we've know that this is the fourth person on this and we're va verifying that this this is the other person on this track we'll take that as well what can we expect with you know the changes in the business with uh streaming and that kind of thing how how might that affect the future royalty payments and that kind of thing for now, at least in, in the domestic area, there was significant growth for quite some time. We were all, we also keep an eye on, you know, in case we see the numbers going the other way. I will say for at least, oh, five plus years, we've seen the domestic really stay steady in that approximately $50 million range. Mm -hmm. um, haven't seen anything to lead us to believe that's going to change in the near future, but you never know where the business is going to go. We've seen, boy, the music business has has had so much change over the last 20 years. Um, really, the growth area for us is in international. Um, we've been really working hard to make sure that we have agreements with different territories to make sure that the real important part is to that we have good data domestically, and that makes it much easier for us to collect internationally. And the other thing is we're very active um, on the legal side as well. We have um, we have currently a couple of active cases with um, one in France and, and one in uh, the UK, uh, just advocating, I won't get into the very complicated details, but advocating for uh, collections for U.S. performers. And that's something that we always try to keep it at the head of um, to make sure that we're collecting again as much as possible. I want to just kind of circle back to remind listeners that if you are a recording artist, a non-featured recording artist, instrumentalist, go to the website and take a look at what's going on there. It's quite possible that there are resources available to you that you're not currently taking advantage of. One of the roadblocks we run into often, which is understandable, is we reach out to folks and we say, hey, we have money for you. Can you give us all of this really personal information on you? <laughs> So we can pay you. And they're like, 
Are you calling from Nigeria? If they're not familiar with the fund or, or they don't really know what we do, there's a real hesitance to give us their information and to register with us. You got to make sure that you're making the right choice in terms of protecting your privacy and not um, giving up some benefits that are there for you. Exactly. We're going to encourage everybody to go to the website, see if you're listed there, create an account for yourself. Um, and we feel that this will be in everybody's best interest to be able to avail themselves of the funds that could be there for you, um, that uh, good people like Stephanie and her staff are, are working so diligently to collect and to distribute to you. So thanks, Stephanie. This has really been uh, great to uh, get a deeper understanding of this. Feel free to reach out to either me, we'll put our website uh, up also as well, if we can help you navigate this. Stephanie, we appreciate it so much. And uh, we look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much. It's my, my pleasure. Well, that's it for today's broadcast with Stephanie Taub, the CEO of the AFM SAG After Intellectual Property Fund. Thanks again for watching. We hope you'll come back for more. We've got some great guests lined up, and we'll be sure to let you know when the episodes are available. Thanks again for watching.